All right, welcome back to the AuthorSpeakerPodcast.org. AuthorSpeakerPodcast.org. Uh, glad I'm Steve Siebold, I'm your host, and uh, thanks for coming back and spending some time with us. Today I want to talk about something that um, that I've been working on with uh, with some different people around the world, Australia, France, or France, as I should, I should say, and Canada, and, uh, and throughout the United States in the last year or so. That's just been a fantastic process as an author. I've been coaching them through this process, and, and it's what I call writing a success memoir. Success memoir. And basically, it's a book that, that describes what you've learned about success as an author, as a nonfiction success author, what you've learned about success, and then a story of how you learned it. Complete with photographs in the book per chapter that show you, if you have them, at that time in your life when you learned the lesson. Now, I got to tell you, I've written a lot of books, and I've written a lot of articles, I've, you know, hundreds, I don't even know how many, hundreds and hundreds of articles over the years, you know, since I was a teenager. I used to write little short stories when I was even, when I was nine, ten years old, and enter them into contests. They used to have these little contests. I don't know if they have those anymore, but it's in the kids' magazines. And I used to love to read, and I used to enter school contests and stuff, and then when you win, and I usually won when I was a little kid, I usually run, you know, for the school, and then you'd sit up, you'd stand up in front of the, the, the room and then read your little story. Story. And they were goofy little stories. Anyway, I've written a lot of stuff. Started back a long time ago. And so, I don't know how much, but I will tell you, I've never experienced anything quite like the process of, of I'm not writing mine, mine right now. I'm going to because it's really cool. And I would encourage you to do the same thing. It's a really cool process. I'm helping these right now six people, these six authors around the, around the world, write this success memoir. And I came up with this idea Based on my book, The 177 Mental Toughness Secrets of the World Class, which became a, you know, a big million copy bestseller and all that, and has been for a long time, and where I, where I had very short chapters, where I have very short chapters, and that book's in its fourth edition now, and, uh, and it's been very successful, and it sells every day, and it's in seven languages around the world and that kind of thing. It's been great. But I got the idea from Mark Victor Hansen. If you remember from Chicken Soup for the Soul, and Mark and I were working in Mexico one time. We were backstage. I was going on. Uh, he, he was actually on before I was. And then Bob Proctor was after, after me. And so while we were talking, I said, I mean, this is 20 years ago, 20, yeah, about 20 years ago. I said, you know, you sold all these books, Chicken Soup for the Soul and other books. What's your, I'm writing my first book. What's your best advice? I hadn't written a word of it. He said, USA Today, short chapters, four color, really brief, a lot of white space. People, you know, they are very busy and email was coming into play back then. And he said, people got a lot of things to read. And so make it short and tight and to the point, concise, brief, a lot of editing. And that was it. Bam. He went on stage. And, uh, and uh, when, we, when we went to, we were both at Bob Proctor's 80th birthday party at the Bellagio in Vegas about, I don't know, eight, nine years ago, whatever it was. And uh, Mark, and it was a small group. It was like 75 of us there. And I said, I told Mark, I reminded Mike, Mark of this. Mark was on my board for 20 years, but I didn't usually bother him with a lot of stuff unless I needed help. And he was always very helpful. And I told him, I remember reminding him of the story. And I said, we just hit a million copies in sales and it's in seven languages now. And he said, I don't remember telling you that. And I said, you were just about to go on stage in Mexico City. And 
I was next and then Bob was following us or me. And, and, you know, we had a couple thousand people there and he goes, I remember the gig. He said, I don't remember that conversation. I goes, it was literally a 60 second conversation, Mark. And that's how fast it was. I go, no, it was nothing to you, but it was a big, this is a game changed my life. Literally. I mean, that book catapulted my speaking career, made me millions of dollars. It was worth, you know, a lot to me. And uh, he said, well, did you send me my cut? And I said, no. He said, are you going to send me my cut? And I said, no. <laughs> we laughed. And, uh, but, but so I started doing a lot of book signings after that book came out. And I would do book signings. You know, I was speaking with Bill Gove and, uh, and, uh, and, and Bob, well, not Bill Gove at that time, but Bob Proctor, Larry Wilson, uh, you know, a lot of top speakers. And we had big audiences. You know, you got an audience of 1,000 people, 5,000 people, 10,000 people, 20,000 people. You have a book out, your book sign has got 500 people in a line, which is really, I find really, really funny all the time because I'll, I'll literally speak to 1,000 people in LA or Vegas or, you know, somewhere. And I'll have 1,000 people in the audience and I'll have 500 people in line for the book sign, at least 300. And the, what I, I always laugh about it because if I go to my local library here in Buford, Georgia, which is a town of 13,000 people, and I live in the biggest property in the town. Okay, so it's a well-known historic property. <laughs> I'm one of the largest landowners on Main Street. Okay, makes no difference. If I did a book signing in, in the, at the library in Buford, which and there's a library right down the street, I'd probably have three people show up. And one of them would be my wife. Okay, one, the second two would be my two dogs, probably. You know, like I couldn't draw a big crowd. But speaking to big groups, you know, you're, you're a hero in that group if they like you. And so you get big book signing numbers. So I'm doing this week after week after week after week for years where there's, you know, thousands of people in the audience. So I've signed probably a hundred thousand books. And if you're a Tony Robbins, that's not a big deal, but in my world, that's a big deal. That's a, there's not many people that are non-celebrities that have signed that many books. The point of it is when you sign, when you do a book signing, the audience tells you that the people you sign the book, you know, you shake your hand, you, you introduce yourself, they introduce themselves, just shake your hand, you take a picture, you sign their book. And that's kind of the process. What they do, they're typically fans, which I always think is fascinating as an author, that author speaker, that when people come to get their book signed, a lot of times they have the book. Matter of fact, that happens to me, right? That's more common than not. They already have a copy of the book. They want to meet you and get another copy to give someone or to get, they just get their book signed. And I, of course, I've, I've done that with a lot of speakers where, I, where I, I like signed books. I waited for Jack Welch for two hours to get Jack Welch's for, you know, the uh, CEO of GE, the, the past uh, CEO. I love Jack Welch. And I got a chance to talk to him a little bit. It was really cool. So I, I'm, I'm one of those people that wait in line. I'm a fan, you know? And uh, so I get it. But they'll. But the thing is, they know your book, and they'll tell you while you're signing it for the 30 or 45 second interaction you have with them while you're signing as fast as you can, shaking hands, taking picture. Well, there's 500 people waiting, you know, for you next. Um, they'll say what they like about your book. They'll say, "Oh, you know what?" I and this is what they'd say to me. Oh, you know what I really love about your books? They're so short. They're toilet books. I used to be so offended in the beginning. I'm like, toilet book. I mean, I worked really hard those two years on that book. I spent my whole life getting that information. And now it's a toilet book. Yeah, because you bring it in the bathroom. It's like you're there for two minutes or whatever it is. And you can read two chapters or whatever. And you don't have to read the rest of the book. It's not, it's not intimidating. It's simple. It's easy. It's written in eighth grade language. And all that was purposeful based on Mark Victor Hansen's advice to me way back when. But that's what they say. Most of the time. Oh, I like because it's simple. I like because it's short. I like it because it's concise. And so I got addicted. I don't know if it's addicted to a word, but I mean, I really be became convinced that that was the way to write books. So I've written every book like that. Every book I have is written like that. Short, 
three to 400 word chapters. Very short. And people seem to like that format and the books continue to sell fairly well. So I keep doing it. But the one thing that I've been criticized about across the board in the publishing industry, traditional publishing, even though I'm a self-published author, a lot of the authors, a lot of the, uh, the publishers have said to me at, you know, the, at the, at the book, uh, book Expo in New York and other places where I've met them, they'd say, you know, Steve, your books sell fairly well, you know, but here's the problem. You don't have any stories. And I say, I don't want stories. I want content. I want con concise content that people can use as a reference book. And that has worked for me. But I never did stories. And I understand the power of stories because I'm a professional speaker. I mean, that's what we do. We tell stories. But that said, I always thought it would be pretty cool if the 177 had stories to go with it. I just never did it, and I was always, you know, rushing from town to town doing speeches for 23 years before COVID straight, doing turnarounds and, you know, with companies and consulting, and, and that was not my priority to put stories to books. But when COVID hit, and I took on these six great success business, successful business people, they're all very, very successful business people, to write what I call the success memoir. As I've been working with them, uh, kind of, you know, helping them put coach, coaching them through the process, I'm also helping them edit the book as a reader, as well as a writer. But with every story they tell, I get to know more about their personality, who they are, their childhood, their parents, their kids, their spouse, their successes, their failures, their fears, their desires. Their, you get to know, you get this 360 view of these people. And I got to tell you, it's fascinating. I have enjoyed it more than I can say getting to know them and some of these people I've known you know for many years so frankly a, a couple of them for over 20 years and uh, the great they're all great people they're all very successful and I and I like them I like that's one of the reasons I asked them to do it I, I approached them to do it um, was because I like them I wanted to work with them and they're very successful and, and I like successful people because they think the same way and you know they're really good people and everything but I had no idea for any of them that I never knew them this well and all this is done over Zoom, you know, since COVID and everything. And, of course, they're in different parts of the world. Um, and none of them are close by me, logistically. And so it's really been cool. So this whole success memoir thing, I would just, just uh, encourage you to, as an author, and if you're not an author, if you're just looking at becoming an author and you're just a speaker, and I don't mean just a speaker, but it, you want to be an author. That's why, you know, people are saying, why don't you just do a speaker podcast? Well, because... If you really want to build a speaking career, you want to be an author. And I don't mean in the, the, the sense that a lot of people mean that in, which is, oh, you need a book, so it's a business card. No, no, no. Now, I'm not talking about marketing. I'm like, get a business card. Okay, yeah, books are great. But I don't, for his business cards, but don't do it for that reason. That, that is such a low level of consciousness, such a low, low. Use it, just write a book, put it in third, together in 30 days, and it's a, like a business card. You don't want to do that. You, unless you want to get marginalized by smart people that can hire you. Like people that run big com companies. They're not stupid. They know when you've you know, put together a little book that, that's more like a pamphlet. I know so many keynote speakers that are million-dollar speakers that have pamphlets for books. I mean, their books suck because there's nothing in them because they have 45 minutes of information. That's all they know. That's all, they, that's all the value they really bring because they're keynote speakers. That's all they do. And I'm not putting down keynote speaking because I've done $16 million in speeches. You know, so, I mean, I'm not putting it down. But... One of the things that I learned from the great Larry Wilson, who really, you know, the highest grossing corporate speaker that ever lived through Wilson Learning, it was still in 85 countries, even though Larry's been gone for years. Um, 
Larry said, you want to be an inch wide and a mile deep. He said, you want to be the, the, the world-class expert on your topic. And if you are, then you should write about it. Put it in books, not pamphlets, not brochure books. You know, that's, that's, that's small-time stuff. You know, that, that's what small-time speakers do. In my opinion, I'm not saying they're small-time. I mean, I know people have made millions and millions of dollars, okay? One of the things I used to argue with Keith, I'll give you a name, Keith Harrell, who was a great friend of mine. We did millions and millions of dollars together in corporate America. Um, doctor, you know, uh, Dr. Attitude. <laughs> Dr. Attitude. And Keith was about 6'6", tall black guy, thin black guy, played basketball in college. Um, and he, if Keith was alive today, he'd be about, uh, let's see, he's about, Keith's about 10 years old than me. So I guess he'd be about 66, 67, 68. He died about 10 years ago, just, just very suddenly. And it was really sad. And he was a great guy. Um, we did, Keith would go in and do keynote speeches and he was speaking about 150 times a year. He was the best in the business. The best, the best, um, in terms of motivational speaking, in corp for corporations, he was the best I've ever seen. Motivational speaking for public market, I love Les Brown. I've worked with Les Brown several times. He's just so good. But for for big corporate, Keith was a little more sophisticated, um, and I and I would take Keith uh, Keith in that spot. But both great speakers. But my point of the diff, of the making the distinction is that. I used to kid Keith and say, you know what, Keith, because I, I, I loved Keith. He was a good, very good friend. And we worked on stage together many times and stuff like that. And, of course, we did millions of dollars of business together for 10 years before he died. And we had a handshake deal, and we never needed a contract. And we exchanged millions of dollars together. Crazy. Just a great, great guy. A high-integrity speaker. And I, but I used to kid him all the time because he'd, he'd go in, he'd do 45 minutes, and he'd say, He'd say, you know what? You need a coach. In, in, in business, you want to be successful, you need a coach. And my coach is Steve Seabold. He's the mental toughest guy, man. He picks up where I leave off. This guy's got more data, more information. He's spoken for more companies and worked for more organizations. This guy goes in for years and works with companies. And he turns around teams and he works with high performance. He's worked with the Boston Celtics and he'd brag about me. And... Then he'd get in the car and he'd say, okay, Steve, hey, I just, I just spoke for Abbott Labs in Chicago. Here's the guy's name, you know, da-da-da. Call him up. Uh, tell him I, I, I told you to call and uh, let me know how it goes. And then I would do the back end. I would do all the back end stuff. And so I would go in there and like, you know, GlaxoSmithKline, he spoke one time for GlaxoSmithKline. And I went in there for nine years afterwards behind him. Nine years of turnarounds. And so we were together for a long time. But so we were very good friends, is my point. And we did tons of business together. And I would always kid Keith, though, when I talked to him or, or see him on the road, I'd say, you know what? You're the best guy I've ever seen in the world at saying nothing. I said, you don't say anything. But you say it as well as I've ever heard anybody. And I used to kid him because it was, it was a joke. And he had a couple of books. And I said, Keith, these are like brochures. My brochures are thicker than your books. <laughs> and I just razz him and stuff like that. It was all in good fun. But he knew it was true. It was really true. His book said nothing. Keith was, the crazy thing about it was Keith was a very smart guy. A very, very bright. He played like he was this uh, everyman motivational speaker and a lot of motivational speakers are every man i mean for sure they're not very sophisticated but keith was he just pretended he wasn't i'm not exactly sure why but when i 
approached him about a years ago. He said, I don't want to do all that work. You get in there and you get in the dirt, man. And because you're working hard, you know, you're taking calls from salespeople and managers and regional vice presidents all the time. They're calling you at midnight when they got a problem. I just want to do 45 minutes and go home or go to the next speech. The thing is, he never went home. He went from house to house. He had five houses around the country. And, not, and I was at all, I was in all of them at one point or another. And they no one, it looked like they were never lived in because he was always on the road until he died. I think part of it was he was worn out. I don't know. It was sad. But anyway, he was an example of a guy that had all the talent in the world. Great speaker, anyway. But all the, all the, cycle, all the intellectual talent in the world. Very smart guy. And he could have had really in-depth books. But he decided not to, and that was his decision. Of course, he made his fortune, anyway, as a speaker. But and I, was, I mean, it was good for me that he, that he didn't want to do the back end because I made more than him in the back end. You know? So that was good. And we cut him in, of course, for 10 years, but, um, which was a great deal. But he could have done a lot more. He could have been an inch wide, a mile deep. And Larry Wilson taught me, who was the, the king of deep, Larry Wilson. He said, look, he says, you got to dig in, man. He goes, if you know the topic and you're an inch wide, a mile deep, you should have a book and you should dig in. And then you should write another book and write another book on that. And keep, keep getting that, go to that well so you become the go-to. And in corporate for so many years, in sales and big companies, I had no competition. Not, not in turnarounds. You know, I mean, if there was no mental talk, I had competition with speakers to keynote a national convention. That's a different thing. But when it came to doing turnarounds, we didn't have any competition. Not really. Not in the psychological space. All oh, the press always covered us more than anybody else. They still do. But um, but that was because of the depth. Okay, so so for sure, right? Don't don't blow the writing thing off, and don't put it. Don't listen to you go to NSA and they say, oh well, you know, some people will say I should say not NSA's the, the organization, but people and you'll hear people in NSA say, oh, just it's a brochure. That's a really low level of thinking, and people do it all the time, but it's stupid. You want to be known as an expert, a real expert, not a fake expert, a real expert. Someone that can talk on the topic for 10 hours straight without stopping. If you can't talk for 10 hours straight on your topic without stopping, you don't, you're not an expert. And so if you're not, no sweat, get expertise. Read, 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 study, 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 do whatever you have to do. It takes time. The 10,000 hours thing, right? So, <clears throat> this, so just to wrap this up, this consider writing at least one of your books in this success memoir format, and I'll tell you exactly how to do it. The first part of the chapter is your success. So you learned persistence. You learned goal setting. You learned any one of the personal development things. We all talk about the same stuff. It's all the same stuff, success habits, whatever. And then you tell a story in the second part of the chapter of how you learned it. And I would Focus on failure stories. Tell them how you lost. Tell them how you were stupid. Tell them how you failed. Tell them how you, you didn't think right. Um, people love it when you lose. Look, you wrote the book. They know you win in the end. This movie ends and you win at the end. They know that because you've got they're reading your book. Okay, so you win in the end and they know it. Along the way, show them how you failed and they'll love you for it. Because people relate to failure. They don't really relate to success unless they are very successful. And most people are not. So they don't relate to it. But most people have failed a lot, so they relate to the failure better. Better to be the failure than the success. 
in your stories and just like in speaking. So think about making your success memoir one of your books. I'm going to do one eventually um, because it's really cool. They, the reader really gets to know you and put pictures in there. And so I can't wait for these books to come out that I'm working with these authors on. Uh, I won't tell you their names because I, I because I don't have their permission to do it. And, I, and I'm not and my name will not appear in their book unless they wanted to, which I don't think they will, and I'm not sure they should. But um, but I just want to I just want to I can't wait for them to come out because you get to know the the author really really well through these stories it's really cool so think about the success memoir and integrating that into your author speaker strategy as your business grows okay so with that uh thanks for listening also i want to recommend that you download the the what it take how to become a million dollar speaker how to become a million dollar speaker by elliot saltzman if you go to the the author speaker podcast authorspeakerpodcast.org you can download you can see, put your name and email and you can download the how to become a million dollar speaker ebook and uh, you'll love that book it's really well done and uh, it's all for free so do that thanks for listening see you next time <laughs>